Hey, we'll welcome all of you at all of our churches this morning, uh, Bluntstown, Chipley, and Mariana. And uh, it's kind of interesting, and you know this when you walk outside, we are at the beginning of summer, right? And the beginning of, this, of a new series, though, as well. So we're at the beginning of summer. Many of you are enjoying that. But we're at the beginning of a series that I think is going to make all of us just really uncomfortable in a really good way. Because what it's going to do is going to lead us to discover more of what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And it's going to help us understand better how to live out what it means to be for the people in our church, for the people in our community, for the people in our nation, in our world. So I just want to say thank you in advance for joining us for this four-week journey. Now, one of the things that I have always loved about the summer season is that it's always been about vacation and fun. And for our family, that was always about being on the water. I mean, because we are a big water ski family, so we're always on the water every weekend at some place. And it just was, I mean, it was one of the things that just loved the summer season because it was vacation fun. In fact, one of my favorite holidays was July the 4th because we'd always do like a big camping trip around July the 4th. How was we go, you know, maybe camp on a sandbar on the river for two or three days. And some of you, that doesn't sound fun. At my age, it doesn't sound as fun anymore, but it was sure fun back when I was younger, right? But, but here's the thing. As I reflect on why I love the July the 4th holiday so much, it wasn't so much about what the July the 4th holiday celebration was about. It was what I felt as people gathered to celebrate or as people gathered to, you know, watch a fireworks show or to have some kind of fireworks and some kind of cookout, it was that feeling of this. While we all have our differences, we are still for our neighbors. That's what I always felt. Now, here's the thing. We're coming up on July the 4th, which is a great reminder that we are for each other. That's a good thing. But over the past few years, this holiday, July the 4th, I found in my own spirit, I didn't really know what to do about it in some ways because it just felt, I just felt this tension because it brought all these political tensions into the spotlight. And, and that's not so good. So today we are beginning a conversation that has been on my heart for a little over two years. Uh, during the pandemic um, in 2020, I, I read a book entitled Until Unity. And um, I just want to tell you, as your pastor, it convicted me deeply and it convicted me personally about my apathy toward the command of God for making unity in the body of Christ like the number one thing. I mean, literally, it convicted me so deeply. I, I got on my knees and had to repent before God saying, God, I'm sorry. And this is the big deal for you. But then it becomes the big deal for us as the body of Christ and begin to, to lean in that and understand it more. And then about four or five months ago, I, I was given an advanced copy or advanced reading copy of a book that came out last month called Not In It to Win It. And not only did that book fuel my conviction about my past apathy toward the command of God for unity in the body of Christ, but the other thing it did is it caused me to face something even worse. And that is how often as followers of Jesus Christ, we're absolutely unconcerned about how this apathy toward unity appears, affects, and turns off the gospel message to the world. In fact, I shared with my staff in May of 2021 uh, because I had to get some of it out. I was like, you, you got to hear this. As a staff, this has got to be your number one priority. Put it at the top of your job description, unity, until unity. 
The Apostle Paul called us to that. Um, so you're going to hear part of what they heard back in May. And, and please understand, also, this is not a political conversation. In fact, for those of you that are newer to RCC, we don't take political sides here. But when things happening in the culture and in the church intersect with the teaching of Jesus, we absolutely talk about them. And so here's the thing. We are in another one of those emotionally charged seasons where I think it's important to remind all of us who follow Jesus, who is our leader and our king. Now, we often say that he's our savior, he's our forgiver. The thing you have to understand, Jesus is our king. Save and forgive is what he does. So, so we have to remind ourselves, all of us who follow Jesus as our leader and king, what side he told us to choose. So let's just start with this thought. Can we start with this thought to get you thinking? If I ask you, if I could sit down at a lunch or breakfast or you know, your house on the front porch, whatever, and, and ask you to list the greatest problems in our country, here, here's what I know. None of you at any of our campuses would have any trouble giving me a list, right? You have an opinion. In fact, you have a very strong opinion. I have heard many of your opinions. Now, I don't share my opinions, but if you're part of my family, you know I am very opinionated about politics. You'll never know my opinion on politics, but I am so opinion, opinionated, I think I should be the president of the United States. But anyhow, you know how it is. I mean, every one of us, right? But here's one of the cool things that makes our church so different than many churches is that people in our church, they don't have the same opinions, and that's good. In fact, one of the unique things about our church is, and I think it's one of the reasons that it is unique that people don't all have the same opinions about politics, is because we have never fallen in line with a party line. In fact, one of the things that may surprise you the most is one of the top things that I get criticized for as your pastor is that I don't take a party line. And I'm going to tell you in the last talk of this series even more why I'm just going to bring a lot more clarity to that. Um, and, and I'm more than happy to take that criticism for that because as a follower of Jesus, we absolutely believe that difference is inevitable, but division is a choice. If you're married and have a good marriage, you understand this. I mean, my wife and I, we disagree on a lot of different things. We have different opinions about a lot of things, even on the politics. But division is a choice. Now, here's the thing, and as followers of Jesus, and we're going to lean into this statement based on John chapter 17, so if you want to go ahead and take your Bibles and go there, we believe as a church that Jesus teaches very clearly that our influence, and you can use the word impact, the ability to reach people with the gospel, Jesus teaches very clearly that our influence on the world is directly tied to the unity that we display as the body of Christ. So let me just ask you some probing questions to think about. If we believe that Jesus' teachings teach us very clearly that our influence in the world is directly tied to the unity we display, and we do, if what Jesus teaches is true, why would we choose to voice our polit political opinions in a way that divides and in a way that devalues other human beings that God created and Jesus died for? Why would we treat our favorite politician or our political party like they're our savior? Why would we put our hope in them for our future more than in Jesus? And why do we spend more time thinking about and talking about politics than we do Jesus and how that should affect our lives? Listen, not only does that kind of thinking and conversation divide, 
But here's the other thing I don't think most of us understand. It greatly disappoints. Uh, Imagine this. If everyone you wanted to get real or get elected or reelected in the midterm elections got elected, would all your fears be gone? Would they all disappear? Would all your problems be solved? And the answer is absolutely no. See, politicians may promise to fix all of your problems, but they don't have the power to do it. I am 56 years old this year, and I promise you, I've seen enough politicians promise it, and none of them have ever delivered, right? Not because they're bad people, but they just don't have the power. So why would we devalue another human human being by valuing our political view above a person that disagrees with you about politics? Here's even a greater question to consider. How come we don't see, because we have them in our churches, how come we don't see Christian Democrats and Christian Republicans choosing to disagree without being divisive? How come we don't see Christian Republicans and Christian Democrats being respectful and loving toward one another, even if they have different worldviews on how politics should be handled? How come they don't focus on more of what unites them, their relationship with Jesus, than what divides them, their political opinions? I mean, after all, we know that nothing gets accomplished in the extremes, but even to make it more personal, let's just talk about us as a church. How come we don't focus on more what unites us instead of what divides us? And not just in our church, but even in the church, capital C church in the world. I mean, the church is the most critical people of the church. And I just think it just breaks the heart of God. Now, here's a reason that we would all say, well, here's why um, Democrats and Republicans don't get along. And we know the answer because they're not right. You know, this party's wrong or this party's wrong. And and we can't let them take our country in the wrong direction. I mean, we fear if we let them win, that our country is going to fall apart. I mean, we, we hear people all the time making statements. At least I hear people making statements like this to me all the time. If those Republicans win, then whatever's going to happen, you fill in the blank. You know what I mean? Or if those Democrats win, if we let them win, you know, then you fill in the blank of what you say is going to happen. And here's what we know. There's nothing to divide like politics because there's nothing divides like fear. And there is no arguing that we are living in a season where everyone seems to be like peddling fear in an attempt to stay in power. Now, for just a moment, I want you to imagine if we as followers of Jesus Christ, if we modeled and if we showed that we could disagree politically and still love unconditionally. And I don't mean tolerate people who think differently and then you hear their conversation and you go, oh, it just ain't worth it. And then you walk away and you roll your eyes because you're going, oh, that's such an idiot. You know what I mean? And I don't mean be nice to their face, but then go bash them on social media or to your family or to your friends. I mean, really love people unconditionally, even if you disagree with them politically. Because see, as followers of Jesus Christ, we absolutely believe that differences is inevitable, but division is a choice. But too many people who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ, they have decided to embrace division. And that is why our nation is experiencing the intense polarization that we're experiencing in our nation. Now, here's the thing. If you, all of our churches, 
if you could help our country figure this out, make this polarization thing go away, would you be willing to do that? And I believe that you would. You are a church that is for others. Well, here's the thing. I believe based on the word of God, there is a way to make it go away. And in doing so, make a difference in our communities, in our country, in our world, if we will change one thing. Now, I know that sounds simple to say, well, let's just change that one thing. But changing this one thing, as you're gonna see, it's not so easy for most of us to do. Now, we get this idea of one thing that needs to change from Jesus. And you gotta understand something about Jesus. Jesus was no stranger to division. Jesus was no stranger to political or other kind of divisive kind of things. I mean, in his day, the Jewish people, they were strongly divided into two camps. There were those who thought that their nation was best served or the best interest for their nation was to submit to Caesar. And then there were Jewish people who's like, no, 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 no. We have to protest and we have to fight against Roman rule. So you had those two camps. And Jesus spoke about this topic of that kind of division more often than you might think. It mattered to him because Jesus knew that this argument, this polarization between the Jewish people, it ultimately would destroy them. Now, you got to understand something. This is Jesus we're talking about here. He, he could have taken a side. In fact, a lot of people wanted Jesus to take sides, especially his disciples. They wanted him to take a political side. And whatever side Jesus would have chosen, that would have been the right side, right? But what is so interesting is that Jesus, our leader and our king, who had all power, who was always right, he chose not to fight for his rights when at all costs, but instead chose to lose his life so that we could gain our lives. I mean, think about it. Jesus didn't argue politics to persuade people to change. Jesus didn't think that a person's political opinion should define who they are or how they behaved. Instead, he gave us one single straightforward, can't dodge it command to follow. Notice this with me before we get to John 17 and John chapter 13. We're gonna take a pit stop here. John 13, verse 34, he says, a new command I give you, love one another. So what defines us and what we should give our time and our effort is, is to love. Now, if you're hearing this for the very first time, you might be thinking, ah, that's pretty easy to do. <laughs> I think I love most people pretty well. I love the people who love me. I love the people like me. I, I, I even love all the people who agree with me. That's simple. I, I'm pretty good here, but not so fast. Notice the next part of the verse. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. Jesus speaking, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Meaning I loved you when you didn't believe like me, when you didn't behave like me. I loved you when you weren't loving to me and weren't loving to anyone else for that matter of fact. In fact, Matthew, you were so greedy that you were stealing money from your own people. You remember what it was like when I first loved you? Or Nathaniel, I loved you when you were mocking me and criticizing my entire hometown. Remember that? And I still loved you. So he says, so love one another as I've loved you. And oh, by the way, I'm not done showing how much I love you in just a few short hours. I'm gonna demonstrate love in a way that is going to take my breath away or your breath away as I give my last breath for you. Now, here's the thing. We're gonna talk more about the implications of this in this series, but in this command right here, Jesus defined for us 
what it looks like, what it sounds like, what it acts like, what it behaves like to follow Jesus. What does it look like, sound like, act like, behave like to follow Jesus? It is to love other people as Jesus loved us. And then he told his disciples this in verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus doesn't say everybody's gonna know that you're Christians because you're Republicans, nor does he say everybody's gonna know that you're Christians because you are Democrats. He says, no, the thing that should make you distinct in the minds of other people should be that you are a follower of Jesus. Listen, the thing that should make you distinct in the minds of other people should never be your political view. You should be known for your love for the person beside you. Listen, if the first thing that comes to someone's mind when they think about you is your political view, then as a follower of Jesus, you are failing to follow Jesus well. You should be first and foremost known for your love toward all people, even those who disagree with you. In fact, anytime you hurt someone with your political rhetoric, anytime you drive a wedge in relationship over your right view, Jesus says, you're wrong. As a Jesus follower, he says, you've missed it. He said, you're not on my side. I don't do that to people. In fact, as we said earlier, we're gonna see from the words of Jesus, Jesus teaches very clearly that our influence on the world is directly tied to the unity we display as the body of Christ. So the fact that Christians and the church in America are more known for our political involvement and our political leanings than we are for our unconditional Jesus modeled love toward others, I'm just telling you, it means we're on the wrong side of God. We're not following our king, our leader at all. But apparently Jesus knew this was gonna be a major problem for us. So just a few minutes after saying what he said in John chapter 13 to his disciples, and he was eating his final Passover meal with them, Jesus prays this prayer in John chapter 17. And this prayer is very unique for a couple of reasons. One, he prayed it for us. You're gonna see that in a moment. But two, Jesus had a very specific prayer request for his father. Don't want you to miss this. Jesus is about to be arrested. He's about to be tried. He's about to be beaten and crucified. And here's what he prays. It's fascinating. Notice this with me in John chapter 17, verse 11. He says, Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me. And some of you, you might read this, Father, protect them and think, oh, I like the sound of that. Sounds like Jesus is saying, hey, Father, protect them from the attack of the other party on our personal and religious freedoms and our Christian values. And I think if you're honest with yourself, you go, no, no, that's not what he's saying. I want you to be protected from. But what would Jesus be considered to be, what would Jesus consider to be bigger? What would Jesus consider to be a bigger enemy than a political party and losing or the fear of losing your freedom? Well, what would that be? I mean, he's just hours from his death. So what could make him so concerned that we needed to be protected from? Here's, here's what he says in the last part of verse. He says, Father, protect them by the power of your name. 
the name you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. Think about this. At the moment Jesus is staring down crucifixion, what Jesus considers to be the greatest enemy in this movement known as the church and these followers that he loved so much was division, was disunity. What he's most concerned about is the unity and the oneness of those who follow him. He's praying, Father, please protect them from disunity. Please protect them from division. Please keep them unified and one. He says, just as we are one. What he's most concerned about is unity. Now, two reasons for that. One, he knows that as long as they stay united, as long as they stay one with each other, then the world would change for the better. But the moment they become divided, the movement of the church, it would stop. And people would stop believing because disunity would destroy the credibility of a watching world. And the second reason is, is you can't love people when you're creating division. You just can't do it. And this is pretty amazing. Jesus then, he prays for you and me. Notice what he prays in verse 20. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, them alone referring to his disciples who are with him. My prayer is also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them, who is all of them? That is all of us who say that we are followers of Jesus, all men, all women, all children, all students who say they're followers of Jesus, it's the wealthy, it's the not wealthy, it's the Democrats, it's the Republicans, it's the black, it's the brown, it's the white, it's all of them who call themselves followers of Jesus. What does he pray for all of us? Here's what he prays. That all of them may be, here's the word again, everybody say it with me, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. And I'm just going to tell you, that kind of Trinitarian unity, it sounds impossible, but Jesus believed it was imperative. It was mission critical to the gospel. Unity among his followers was more important than economic status or political opinion. To Jesus, unity is the win. You may want to write that down. To Jesus, unity is the win. Nothing is more central to the gospel message than unity. Nothing is more central to showing that you are a follower of Jesus Christ than unity. Because see, you can't love when you're creating division. That's why the greatest enemy that we as face as Christ followers, that's why the greatest enemy the church faces is not some kind of Republican agenda or some kind of Democratic agenda. It's not a Supreme Court majority that's conservative or liberal. It's not a particular power or party in power. No, the greatest enemy of the church is disunity. The greatest enemy of the church is not a political party. It's not a politician. It is disunity. And that is why Christians are having so little positive impact on our culture today because we have chosen division over unity. We treat politics and people who disagree with us in our politics just like a person who's not a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. That doesn't mean we should all agree politically. We never will. We're human beings. We all have different opinions and thoughts and ideas. But don't miss this. We don't have to agree on everything to be united. My wife and I don't agree on everything. But I love her more than anyone else. Right? So the truth is, as we said before, difference is inevitable, but division 
is a choice. Everybody differs, but we don't have to be divisive. So this means we have to stop letting our opinions and our politics shape our faith. Instead, we have to let our faith shape how we handle politics. See, we, gotta, we really got to, and this is going to offend some of you, but we've got to stop believing that Jesus agrees with everything in the Republican platform because he doesn't. And we have to stop believing that Jesus agrees with everything in the Democratic Party platform because he doesn't. See, Jesus is king, and his ideology is the only hope for the world. Not the Republican ideology, not the Democratic ideology. No, Jesus' ideology is the only hope for this world. This means having certain political ideology is not going to save our mission or our nation. Notice, don't miss this. Jesus was a king who came to reverse the order of things, and we're going to unpack this throughout this series. Jesus did not come to endorse a political worldview. He, com- he came to completely replace what was in place and introduce a new worldview, a kingdom not of this worldview. And so whenever we try to edit Jesus to fit some kind of political platform, we rob the world of the only message that can change the world. So following Jesus as king and loving as he is loved, it is the answer to all the problems in our nation. And some of you are sitting there going, I have wasted a lot of time on politics, haven't I? If Jesus is the answer, yes. See, this is why Jesus prayed that we would follow so closely, that we would stand out for the way that we love people who do not see things the way that we see them. So you, we, here's, here's what I would say. We have to be followers of Jesus who refuse to put our view politically before the people around us. We, we have to be the kind of followers of Jesus who, who puts the person across the aisle in front of us. We say, man, I wanna value you. We, we have to be the kind of followers of Jesus who put Jesus before politics and will disagree with our own party when they are not in line with Jesus's values and Jesus' teaching Do you know why this matters so much? Do you know why this was so important to Jesus that he prayed about this just hours before his death? Well, he tells us in his prayer. Notice the last part of verse 21. He says, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Do you know why Jesus prayed for us to be united and not be divisive so that we'd get along and be happy? No, actually it had nothing to do with us. It's all about what God wanted to do through us who make up the church in this world. It's so people who didn't believe, who didn't know, who were skeptical, wouldn't drive by our buildings and roll their eyes and look at us like we're hypocrites. He he prayed that we would be one, that we would love one another as he loved us so that we would have credibility and we would earn enough influence that we could impact people with the gospel message because they would give enough of a listening ear because we love them that they would consider what we know that Jesus came, died, and he rose again and he wants to have a relationship with them. Do you know what hangs in the balance of our choice to embrace unity or to create division? Two things, you might wanna write this down. The faith of the next generation and the souls of a lost generation hang in the balance of our choice between unity and division. Don't miss this. The faith of the next generation 
and the souls of a lost generation hang in the balance of our choice between unity and division. If you want to know why fewer and fewer young adults follow Jesus, it's because they have heard us talk about our rhetorical values, but they've watched us be just like everybody else, divisive, mean-spirited, cancel culture, all of that stuff to people who do not agree with us. And they are sick of our hypocrisy. I mean, they've heard us say that Jesus is king and we say that we trust Jesus with all our heart, soul, and mind. And then we flip out whenever our political party loses power. And it's been obvious to them that politics is our king, not Jesus. And I've heard it from so many of them. In fact, several months ago, I was having um, a meal with um, a young man who was in his 20s and he's leaning in to understand what it means to have a faith of his own and to follow Jesus. And the location that we were eating at, it had a church across the street and it had a flagpole in front with two flags on it. Partway through our conversation, I kind of watched him watch over my shoulder and he go, finally goes, um, well, what's that second flag under the American flag? And I told him, I said, well, that's the Christian flag. And he sat there and he thought for a bit. And then he said, um, if we say that we believe God is the authority over all, and we should put Jesus as number one in our lives, why would a church put the Christian flag as subject to the American flag? I thought Jesus was king. And I started to tell him the protocols for flying the American flag. And as I started telling him, it sounded really hollow. And I'm like, this is screwed up. And he interrupted me, he goes, no, no, no. If we really believe what we say about Jesus, we should just fly the Christian flag. Be good citizens here, but Jesus is our king. And then he, and then he went on to say, he says, you know, this is the whole problem with this church thing. You say one thing and do another thing. And I have heard that over and over from the younger generation. So the next generation has done what I, I can't blame them for doing. They've given up on everything called Christian. And here's the thing, until we become united and love as Jesus has loved us, I'm telling you folks, we are going to lose the next generation and we will have no credibility with the lost generation who doesn't know that Jesus loves them. I mean, after all, how could they? They, they gotta see it modeled. I mean, we Jesus followers, we won't love them unless they line up with us politically and behave like us theologically. So because of us, people who don't believe, who, who don't know, people who've walked away from the church, people who are skeptical, they drive by our buildings and they see our flags and they see all these other behaviors that we have and how we react when our politician doesn't get in place and how we're more about politics than we are Jesus. And they rolled their eyes at our hypocrisy. In too many days, we just live forgetting that our lack of passion to love others as Christ loved us, it affects God, it affects an unbelieving world, and it affects us. See, how you say, how does it affect God? What well, breaks his heart? He died so the world would be one. And then how does it affect us? Well, we're lulled into apathy by it because we're giving our allegiance to a lesser king. And the world is confused by it because they say, well, you say Jesus is your king, but you act like other things are your king. So here's my thing to you today. 
If you really love this country as you say you do, if you want to hand off a better world for the next generation, all we have to do is follow the example of our Savior. He's shown us the way. He is our King. So let's honor Him and follow Him above any political party. I mean, after all, He died for us. And He's our King who demands full allegiance and obedience. So this week, would you pray for two things? In order to truly be a fully devoted follower of Jesus, the one that you say you honor as king, would you, number one, would you pray that you would love others like Jesus loved you? Would you pray for that? I mean, this was something I shared with our staff back in May. I was going, you know, I, I never made this like the number one thing in my prayer life. And, and I repent of that. And then the second thing, would you pray for the same level of passion for unity that Jesus had? I mean, let's disagree politically. And yeah, is it okay to have political opinions and ideas? Absolutely. But here's the thing. We need to love unconditionally and pray for unity so the world will know that Jesus is and how much that he loves him. After all, we are not first and foremost, Republicans or Democrats. We are of a party that is not of this world. And next week, I'm gonna pick up and tell you what that party is. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it's gotten uncomfortable this morning. But a good uncomfortable We sing that you're worthy of all praise. We sing that you are our king. But too many times we've got distracted and we've given our hearts to lesser kings. God, we live in fear because we've given our hearts to trust in lesser kings. But even worse than that, We've lost credibility to a watching world that needs the gospel, that needs to know that you love them because we've given our hearts to lesser kings. And Jesus, I thank you that you love us enough that even though we haven't got this right, you're not here to condemn us. You're here to convict us. So we'll be challenged to go out and live and love like Jesus loved each one of us. God, I just pray right now that your Holy Spirit will begin to do a work in our hearts, understanding, oh yeah, we're all gonna have ideology and about politics and we're gonna all have our opinions and, and we can have those. But it should never create division, especially within the body of Christ. Difference is inevitable, but division is a choice based on who we choose to follow. Jesus, you as our king or lesser kings of this world. I pray that you help us to learn over these next few weeks what it means to be aliens and foreigners 
in a world, a community that we love, just like the nation of Israel, when they were in Babylon, you told them, hey, seek the welfare of this place, but you're part of a different kingdom. God, at the same time, loving as you called us to love. Thank you for your incredible grace, your love for us. May we live that out as we go into this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks everyone for joining us. I know um, you're anxious to get out of the building, but let me tell you one more thing. And that is this, um, groups kick off this week. So if you're not part of a small group, make sure you stop by the gallery and sign up to be part of a small group. We'll see you next Sunday.